guys, and welcome back to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. This week, we're going to cover July 8, 1996, in the Monday Night War, it's Raw versus Nitro, as we chronicle everything going on in the ring, as well as behind the scenes here. Plus, we'll even look into those pesky TV ratings before the end of the show. And if you guys don't know by now, it's the fallout from Bash at the Beach 96, the formation of the NWO. You better believe we're going to talk about that before the end of this program as well. Not to mention, plenty more Ultimate Warrior drama coming our way. Warrior Man here. And I am your host, Ray Russell. We're just about ready to get going with the show. But before we do, just a friendly reminder, you can listen to programs like Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, as well as sister shows like Regional Wrestling, where we talk the territories. Right now, got two projects going on on Regional Wrestling, 1981 in Georgia Championship Wrestling, as well as 1986 in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. Then also, you can listen to programs like the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Right now, in the month of July over there, in the middle of our 1987 in the WWF Project, you can listen to all of those shows and more as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And don't forget, you can follow us on our social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter at Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, Follow and like us at facebook.com slash wrestling grenade. Follow us on social media for all the latest goings on at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history. And speaking of videos, over 450 videos and counting over at our YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe to youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. I'm uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. And of course, now is also a great time to become a WrestleCopia patron. You can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Again, that address, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from, but I'm only asking you guys to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. If you guys got a few bucks laying around, I'd really appreciate you showing your support Five dollars is all I'm asking. And what does that all access tier get you? It gets you all of my insanely detailed show notes, book-like show notes, guys. Pages and pages of show notes for three of the shows here on the Russell Copia Podcast Network, including the Grenade, Regional Wrestling, and of course Monday Warfare as well. You'll also receive early access to many of the podcasts here on Russell Copia. You guys can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of the Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project, includes enhanced sound quality and new content, originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into the show. But that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more, plus other random bonus drops, including random wrestling videos. So what are you waiting for, guys? You get all of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of the podcasts, plus Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content added in, digital downloads, and so much more. Don't forget those bonus drops. You get all of that for just $5 a month. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Show your support. Give us a try for a month. I think you'll like the content we offer, and every penny of it, guys, goes right back in to the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. Help me pay the bills 
if you guys enjoy all the time and effort, the shows that I put on here as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, I'd really appreciate you guys giving it a try, that $5 all-access tier, and help keep all the shows here at WrestleCopia up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, and it's time to jump into the July 8th edition of the Monday Night War here in 1996. Over on WCW Nitro, it's the fallout from the bash at the beach. But before we get there, we're going to tackle the WWF and Monday Night Raw. But before we can get to Raw, it's a little WWF news here this week. And it's reported the WWF's annual SummerSlam show, traditionally its number two show of the year, will be August 18th from the Gund Arena in Cleveland, Ohio. As of July 9th, advanced sales for the show were already 7,504 tickets sold, as it will almost assuredly end up as the second largest live wrestling gross in the United States here in 1996, trailing only WrestleMania 12. Good job there, those Clevelanders. I know I got my ticket. And we touched on this last week on The Grenade. It appears that Barry Windham has been offered a contract from the WWF, so odds are very good that he'll be headed in fairly soon. It's also reported that Bret the Hitman Hart, currently not under a WWF contract, now we've known about that for a few weeks anyway, the Hitman, his contract has expired. He's working on a handshake deal. Actually, he's not working at all. He's off taking a break outside of that South African tour he promised to be a part of. He kept his word, but the Hitman working without a contract here. He could have easily shown up in WCW, and for the money they were offering, I wouldn't have blamed him. But that just shows you here, things are so different in the summer of 96, just a year and a half, less than a year and a half before Bret Hart has to make the jump to WCW. Here he is in the summer of 96, showing his loyalty to the WWF. It's also reported that the 1-2-3 kid, Sean Waltman, had a meeting with Vince McMahon this past week regarding his return, but nothing definite has been decided. Well, we know that story's going to change a whole lot here over the next several weeks. Basil DeVito, a longtime vice president with Titan Sports, who left a few years back, was hired back here in the summer of 96 as a consultant when it comes to business development. In a sense, he replaced Lisa Wolf. We've heard her name mentioned a lot over other podcasts, namely Bruce Pritchard's. So Basil DeVito, in a sense, replacing Lisa Wolf, who was another VP in charge of business development and human resources. Jesse the Body Ventura, who is no longer doing his radio drive show in Minneapolis, is said to be wanting to return to the WWF, since he has very bitter feelings about his stay with WCW. Can you imagine that, guys? Jesse Ventura back just in time for the Attitude Era. That would have been interesting. And you guys have to remember, Ventura and the World Wrestling Federation, they had a bitter and lengthy lawsuit, which Ventura wound up winning. Now, DeMeltz says he doesn't know if there's a place for Ventura in the WWF right now, as he claims the body can't touch Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, although at his worst, he'd still be as good as Kurt Hennig. Lawler was peaking there back in those mid to late 90s. Mr. Perfect, I just don't know that he ever applied himself in this run on commentary. The Los Angeles Times had a lengthy article about an Olympic weightlifter by the name of Mark Henry, who is being sponsored by the WWF and will probably join the World Wrestling Federation after the Olympics. DeMeltz claims that Mark Henry isn't expected to meddle, though the story did mention Mark Henry's childhood idol being Andre the Giant. And according to the Chicago Sun-Times, a fellow by the name of Dale Torborg, the son of former White Sox and Indians manager, Jeff Torborg wants to wrestle in the WWF. It's reported that he played two years of Class A baseball, but was cut by the Yankees and failed to catch on in the MLB. Now, some of you guys may recognize that name, Dale Torborg. 
Now, he'd never make it to the WWF, but went on to WCW to become the Kiss Demon. I'm not shitting you guys. And we talked about this some last week, but it continues on here again this week. It's time for more Warrior Man drama. Warrior Man here. Yes, more Ultimate Warrior drama. Would you expect anything less? DeMeltz hypothesizes the following. He says, WWF officials have not yet made a decision on how to announce the status of Jim Helwig either way because it could script their pay-per-view angles on the July 8th edition of Raw. That's this upcoming Raw we're going to be discussing here on this show. This episode actually built around the Ultimate Warrior taking on Owen Hart. And again, we'll touch on that more when we get to Monday Night Raw. Meltzer notes at the end of the matchup between the Warrior and Owen Hart, we will see the Ultimate Warrior laid out by Camp Cornette, which would be a natural way to end Warrior's tenure here in the WWF, if that's the way they want to play it. And at those Raw tapings, the fans in attendance got to see a strong comeback from the Ultimate Warrior after the taping. But if the Ultimate Warrior isn't to return to the company, the storyline likely would be that he was injured here during this beatdown on July 8th, and his comeback would simply be edited out. Makes sense. We're told whatever decision the WWF makes regarding Helwig will be made apparent while watching the July 8th edition of Raw. You could say that. Meltzer goes on to say if Helwig is gone, and given the circumstances and timing, he says the odds would seem to be against that being the case. But should the Warrior be gone, then it's likely either Psycho Sid, or even more likely Yokozuna, would take Helwig's place at the upcoming In Your House International Incident pay-per-view teaming with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson to take on the trio of the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, and Vader. Now, Helwig's no-show immediately fueled rumors of him being the third man on the Kevin Nash and Scott Hall team as part of Bash at the Beach, but we all know that does not come to fruition. Probably the best thing for everyone involved. Meltzer goes on to say, even if the WWF were to fire the Warrior, they wouldn't do so until after the WCW pay-per-view event anyway. Makes sense a wise business decision. So it's pretty much considered a legal impossibility for the Warrior to show up at Bash of the Beach, more so now than ever with the lawsuit out. Remember Vince McMahon trying to sue World Championship Wrestling here. I also researched and found that in recent McMahon and Helwig talks, it's reported that Warrior had been asked to put up an appearance bond assuring that he would show up to his matches rather than backing out every time something isn't going to his liking. And DeMeltz finishes up by saying a McMahon-Helwig breakup would be even messier this time than in the past with their business partnerships in both the comic book and the wrestling school in Phoenix having to be sorted out. Just a jumbo mess here between the WWF and the Ultimate Warrior. You get what you pay for, Vince. And there was no bigger Warrior fan than I back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I'm not going to lie to you, I was through the roof excited for the Warriors' return here in 1996 initially. But based on his booking and clearly these behind-the-scenes shenanigans, it's really not hard to cool off on him at this point. And that'll do it for this week's WWF News. So we're off to Monday Night Raw for July 8th, taped back June 24th at the Brown County Expo Center, Green Bay, Wisconsin, as Raw opens up with a special announcement from WWF President Gorilla Monsoon. It is with great reluctance that I announce the indefinite suspension of the Ultimate Warrior. This suspension is a direct result of the Ultimate Warrior's failure to appear as advertised last weekend in Indianapolis, Detroit, and Pittsburgh. This suspension will be immediately lifted, however, 
as soon as the Warrior posts an appearance bond to ensure WWF fans that he will appear where advertised. However, the Ultimate Warrior is here tonight, as promised, and will wrestle Owen Hart. We remain hopeful that the Ultimate Warrior will soon post an appropriate appearance bond and return to action here in the World Wrestling Federation. Despite the immense popularity of the Ultimate Warrior, no one wrestler is above answering to our loyal WWF fans. And there you heard it, Gorilla Monsoon announcing the indefinite suspension of the Ultimate Warrior after the Warrior failing to appear at three recent live events, of course, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Pittsburgh, Gorilla offering to allow Warrior Man to return if he posts an appearance bond to assure the fans that he would, in fact, appear as advertised, which is pretty much a shoot at this point. And in an additional note here, on the weekend syndicated TV shows in both Pittsburgh and Detroit, the WWF apologized for the Ultimate Warrior not showing up for the events. They claimed it was due to contractual disputes, but also mentioned that his father had passed away. So that's where we're at there on TV as far as the Warrior goes. As we head into Raw, it's Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler on commentary and straight to the ring. It's time to see the Ultimate Warrior taking on Owen Hart this week. Jim Cornette in Hart's corner. Owen in the ring and he and manager Jim Cornette teasing Owen's arm injury, playing up that cast there, pointing to it, having a little fun, making you wonder just how legitimate the injury is at this point. Meanwhile, on commentary, Vince McMahon says he hopes this isn't the last time that we'll see the Warrior. In the WWF ring, unfortunately, it is. And as always, we get that huge warrior entrance. The pyro, the huge warrior face paint logo on fire. Big reaction from the fans. And while warrior seems out of place here, in 1996, his entrance and crowd response was as over as ever. And as the match begins, it's the warrior sidestepping a charging Owen Hart, sending Owen flying over the top rope and out to the floor which takes us to an insert promo from Ahmed Johnson and Shawn Michaels, a live interview from quote-unquote WWF Studios. Michaels says, with Warrior now out of the six-man tag team match at In Your House, they had to think fast, but they found themselves a new partner, and they'll announce who that partner is as soon as he shows up. So it sounds like we're going to find out here today on Raw who the third member of that Shawn Michaels-Ahmed Johnson team will be at In Your House. Now, that's what Sean had to say. Ahmed, he had some shit to say, too, but he's speaking so fast here that I have no idea what it is. So we're back to the ring with the Warrior delivering a pair of hip tosses. And that just looks so wrong coming from the Ultimate Warrior here. And a clothesline sending Owen right back over the top rope and out to the floor once more. Owen taking great bumps here for the Warrior as the Warrior launches Owen Hart up into the air. Owen coming down hard on his chest. Had to have been at least eight feet in the air or better. On that spot there. Warrior continues on. Big power slam and a side slam. And wow, you dub up in his game here this week. Lots of new offense coming out of the Ultimate Warriors arsenal. Owen then whipped hard into the corner, taking Brother Brett's chest bump into the buckles, but managed to finally come back, catching the Warrior with a spinning heel kick, taking Warrior down for the first time in the matchup. But the Warrior no-sells the heel kick, and Warrior popping up from it. But Owen takes him right back down again with the clothesline. Warrior popping up again. Warrior firing up, but then randomly he, he feels the after effects. I'm not really sure what's going on here. In fact, I have no idea what just happened here. Owen nailed the spinning heel kick. Warrior popped up. Owen nailed a clothesline. Warrior popped up. Looked like he was making his comeback. 
Then out of the blue, he just kind of falls over, begins selling the After Effects. Essentially, he starts warrioring up, then all of a sudden just looks injured. Maybe he realized this wasn't the finish, but rather the heat segment of the match, if there's going to be one. So with the Warrior now agreeing to sell, Owen tries to go on the offense, but UW reverses a suplex, then looks for the big splash. Ultimate Warrior looking to take it home, but Owen gets his knees up as the Warrior crashes down hard. Owen Hart stomping down the Warrior as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, Owen still stomping and choking on the Warrior. Probably didn't miss anything, if I'm being honest, guys. It's probably just kind of paused the video right there, picked it back up on the other side. Nevertheless, Owen Hart stomping down the Warrior. Jim Cornette even getting in a cheap shot on the Ultimate One. His heart places Warrior's throat first across the middle rope, and Owen Hart landing that leg straddle to the back of Warrior's head. And then for good measure, it's the Enzigiri, the same move that nearly took Shawn Michaels out for good. But Owen, he doesn't make the cover. Warrior down on the mat, Owen Hart instead going to the top rope, where it's a missile drop kick, and it connects. One, two, but the Warrior kicks Hart out, throws him right up in the air and threw the ropes out to the floor. But Owen landing on his feet, rolling right back inside, trying to take back over before Warrior has a chance to make the comeback. Owen rushing back in, looking for the sharpshooter. But the Warrior kicks free before Owen can lock it in. And the Warrior begins shaking the ropes, making the comeback as the British Bulldog shows up at ringside. Uh Uh-oh. But Warrior making his comeback, shaking the ropes, delivering three big clotheslines and the flying shoulder tackle. Takes Owen down to the mat. This could be it for the King of Hearts. But the Bulldog enters the ring to attack. But Warrior sees him coming, sending the British Bulldog into the corner buckle. Nevertheless, the interference draws a disqualification here. About six minutes, 45 seconds shown of maybe a a seven-minute match. The Ultimate Warrior going to pick up the disqualification win. As post-match, Warrior going after the Bulldog when Vader also hits the ring. But Warrior holding his own for a moment until it's the Bulldog Power Slam. Putting the Warrior down on the mat and then from there, Owen Hart going to the top rope, coming off cracking the cast across the skull of the Ultimate One. As the officials begin to pile in the ring, Vader running them off with Cornette's tennis racket as Owen and Davey then hold Warrior Man down for a Vader bomb. To finish up the segment, all three members of Camp Cornette taking the Ultimate Warrior out, or so it would seem we head into a commercial break, and following another commercial, we're shown a clip of what happened during the break as we see officials helping the Ultimate Warrior to the dressing room area, thus ending the short-lived return of the Warrior Man. Warrior Man here. And it just felt so weird to see a competitive Warrior match make air while commentary would suggest that he's essentially already all but gone from the company. Vince McMahon holding out hope, although we know by now it's all for naught. Warrior going to pick up a DQ win in his final televised match here in the WWF, but he winds up being helped out of the arena after an assault from Camp Cornette. As we move on, we take a quick trip back to WWF Studios, another interview with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson. Shawn drops a hint about their new partner. He says he's had issues with him in the past. Well, that really narrows it down, Shawn. Then it's back to the ring. Savio Vega taking on Justin Hawk Bradshaw with Zeba Kai in his corner. And on Savio's way to the ring, he runs into a still injured Brian Pillman on crutches here. Pillman taking a swing at Vega, but he misses. Pillman then ushered back by, hey, that's J.J. Dillon making a cameo here on Raw. J.J. Dillon forcing Pillman to the backstage area as Vince McMahon trying to put over Pillman as a ticking time bomb. 
And I should make mention, this episode of Raw is in between two matches between Bradshaw and Freddie Joe Floyd on Superstars. So the Hockey's actually coming off a loss to Tracy Smothers on Superstars the prior week before getting revenge on the next episode to air following this edition of Raw. So Bradshaw coming off a loss to Tracy Smothers, the debuting Tracy Smothers as Freddie Joe Floyd on Superstars anyway. As we get to the action here, Vega controls to start things off. Spinning Quang Kick in the corner. Always love that move. But Bradshaw winds up countering a hip toss, turning it into a bulldog. Pretty damn cool spot there for a guy's size and gets a two off of it as well. The future JBL then dominates from there. Vega with hope spots on a couple of occasions, but runs into a nasty big boot. And it's hook'em horns time by Bradshaw as the Hawk continues his dominance in the ring. Lots of fun big man stuff here. And I'm reminded of why I loved the Hawk character so much. It's just Stan Hansen-esque in every fathomable way. And that, folks, is a good thing. Mid-match with Bradshaw well in control, Vince McMahon on commentary begins to have some fun putting over the Who character, who has recently made his debut in the WWF. It's funny, pal. They also discuss who might be the new member on the team of Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson. Yokozuna, one of the names batted around here on commentary, and it would make sense Yoko was feuding with Camp Cornette after all. And as the action continues here, the heat on Vega goes on for seemingly ever here. So we even get a call in from Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect calling into the show as they continue to speculate who the third man will be on that Shawn Michaels team. Wait, third man? Sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it, WCW? On commentary, Jerry Lawler asking Kurt Hennig if he is the third man on the team for In Your House, playing up that, hey, Hennig's done it before he did it at Survivor Series 92. Could he be making that baby face return yet again? But before Hennig can answer, we cut to a commercial break. Stay tuned to Raw to find out on the other side. And then we're back from break, but there's no payoff when we return because apparently they've lost connection with Mr. Perfect and it isn't mentioned again. I guess this was just their way of keeping you tuned in throughout the commercial break. Pretty crummy payoff there. Thanks, Vince. But let's not forget we got action in the ring. Bradshaw continues on the offense with a massive pump handle slam, picking Savio way up in the air and driving him down. And then going to the top rope is Justin, coming off with a diving top rope shoulder block. Again for another near fall. And JBL really pulling out all the stops here, looking for a pile driver now. But he gets backdropped for his troubles. Is Vega finally going to make the comeback here? Savio going to light it up, lighting it up with chops on the chest of Bradshaw. Justin Hawk again trying to make the comeback, but he misses a corner charge. And Vega delivering a back suplex for a near fall. From there, manager Zebekiah sensing trouble here, now up on the apron. But Vega knocks him right back off. And that distraction will allow Bradshaw to set up for the big lariat. And if he connects with that, no doubt this match is over. But as Bradshaw charges with the lariat, Zebekiah looking for revenge. Remember, Savio had knocked him off the apron. So Zebekiah from behind tripping up Savio Vega, causing him to fall to the mat. Thus causing a rushing Bradshaw to not only miss the lariat, but he stumbles from the momentum and clotheslines himself across the top rope, turning around into Savio's spinning heel kick finisher, and Vega going to get the one, two, and three. 13 minutes shown in this matchup. Vega scoring the win over Bradshaw. Well, that was a new one for me. Zebekiah costing his man the win here. Really interesting spot. So the manager costs his man the match, 
while trying to help him out at the same time, Zebekiah tripping up Vega for revenge, but causes Bradshaw to miss the lariat at the same time, which allowed Savio to nail that spin kick on the rebound, and it almost felt like something you would use to set up issues between the manager and his charge, but instead, post-match, it's Bradshaw with a clothesline from behind on Vega, as Hawk and Zebekiah then attack Vega with the bull rope. Bradshaw even clocking Vega over the head with the cowbell. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Then Bradshaw, or maybe it was Zebekiah, not really sure, it wasn't shown on screen, but one of them branded Savio with the branding iron right on his face, the JB mark there, branded on the cheek of one Savio Vega. No doubt Vega gonna look for revenge after that. And so the beatdown on Vega was the majority of the match, leading to four or five hope spots. A few attempted comebacks from Vega here before the actual finish of the match. Probably not for everyone, but a really good old school story here for me. And Bradshaw really upped his game here to keep things fun and interesting while on the offense. And rather than just grab a chin lock, Bradshaw was pulling out moves you didn't see him use a whole lot. And I, for one, I personally appreciated it. And again, nothing wrong with this match if you like that old school storytelling of the heel on top most of the way, rather than today's back and forth trading moves ordeal. And I like the finish because it was different. Helps Bradshaw save a little face and the post-match beatdown didn't hurt things either. And I thought the crowd noise helped a lot in this one as well. I like the Savio Vega Bradshaw feud here in 96. And then following that matchup, it's yet another, our third in many interviews with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson. They say they've spoken to their new partner on his cell phone and he is en route to meet with them here. So the warrior clearly already an afterthought as far as in your house international incident goes. And next week, we also learned at this point that Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson will defend their respective titles versus the smoking guns in singles matches. It'll be WWF champion Shawn Michaels taking on Billy Gunn, while Intercontinental champion Ahmed Johnson going to go up against Brother Bart. And then it's back to the ring. More Camp Cornette in action this week. The British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith, going to team up with Vader to take on the former WWF Tag Team Champions, Henry O and Phineas I, the Godwins. Accompanied to the ring by Hillbilly Jim as Jim Cornette joins commentary for this one. The action gets going, and old Hank getting the best of the Bulldog early on as Corny says his team is just feeling the Godwins out thus far in the matchup. And as the action continues, Vader with a knee to Henry Godwin's back as he runs the ropes, and the heel's finally taking over on old Hank, Vader even laying in some punches in the corner. Hank, though, coming back, reversing a Vader suplex to a big pop from the crowd. Very impressive suplex there from Henry Godwin. Phineas even getting in a little revenge here for the Godwins, as it is now he who nails Vader in the back with a knee from the apron, causing Vader to stumble into a big clothesline from Henry Godwin. Just two hosses in the ring having a slobber knocker. Jim Ross would love this. And Phineas finally tagging into the match. A big splash on Vader from Phineas. Gonna get a two count. I'm not sure this is how you want to use Vader. But the big man Vader, he does make the comeback here with the clothesline as the heels begin to work over Phineas Godwin. Phineas, though, comes battling back with a bulldog on the bulldog. But the heels right back in control with a Vader avalanche in the corner and a short arm clothesline. Taking Phineas down to the mat. Vader, however, winding up in the wrong corner. And old Hank Godwin tagging himself back in. Blasting Vader in the clothesline for a two count. Henry, though, missing a charge in the corner and eats a pair of Vader clotheslines. Ugh, one was bad enough. Henry down on the mat 
as the heel's working old Hank over yet again. A Vader splash! Gets a near fall, but Henry Godwin still has enough to kick out. And now, sensing potential issues with the Godwins continuing to fight back, Jim Cornette leaving commentary repeatedly for the remainder of the matchup. Quite comical as Corny rushes back and forth. Every time he thinks his men are in control, he runs back to commentary. Every time they miss a move or a Godwin kicks out, Cornette rushes off commentary to tend to his men again. So as usual, Jim Cornette making everything count out here. And then from there, Henry Godwin rolled into the corner as Vader delivers a Vader bomb to the back of Henry Godwin. And that should do it, guys. One, two, he kicked out. Henry Godwin kicked out of the Vader bomb. What in the blue fuck is going on here, guys? Henry Godwin kicking out of Vader's finisher as we head into a commercial break. Then back from break, the beatdown continues. Vader boxing Hank's ears in before laying in an avalanche in the corner. Vader rushing in for a second avalanche attempt, but Henry Godwin catches Vader in midair and powers Vader up, rotates Vader over into an impressive power slam, essentially turning an avalanche into a power slam here. Awesome spot here from Hank as Hillbilly Jim pops huge, marks out on the outside for the big spot. Jim Cornette then leaving commentary for good after that one, I would imagine. Cornette back at ringside to tend to his men as it's hot tag time to Phineas Godwin. Bulldog tagged in as well at this point. Phineas having a fit on both of the heels. Covers the Bulldog, but Vader breaking up the count. Then Henry Godwin back in the ring, causing things to break down into a four-way melee here. And all of the confusion finally allowing the British Bulldog to sneak in a power slam on Phineas Godwin. And the Bulldog going to make the cover and get the win. In 12 minutes and 30 seconds shown here of the action on TV, it is Camp Cornette defeating the former tag champs, the Godwins. 12 and a half minutes it took him. And post-match, Diana Smith out here celebrating with the Bulldog. I wrote, oh wow, didn't even see her at ringside. Maybe they're trying to phase her out, I'm thinking, because they didn't even really mention her here. And getting back to the match, another long-winded heat segment here from the Heels. The Heels did tag in and out enough, hitting quote-unquote big moves to keep things moving, but this wasn't as good as that Bradshaw-Savio heat segment. And that could be because, well, we got two of these in a row. Plus, Vega and Bradshaw, more evenly matched opponents, whereas here, I was questioning why a tag team gimmick was kicking out of Vader's finisher, of all things. Yes, it's the same move that will put down the WWF champion Shawn Michaels at the upcoming pay-per-view. Old Hank Godwin kicks out of it here. And don't get me wrong, guys, I love me some Henry Godwin but you're supposed to be building an unstoppable monster invader here, aren't you? And when you look at this match on paper, it's immensely mismatched, but Henry Godwin was believable, holding his own here. Old Hank, old Mark Canterbury, if you will, was impressive, and I always felt he deserved more as a talent. But this match, it just felt like it went long to do nothing more than fill some time here on the show, and again, I don't feel this served Vader's spot in the company very well. Nevertheless, the show continues on. We get a commercial for the WWF's 900 number phone line, Jim Ross teasing a love triangle between the likes of Marlena, Goldust, and Sable? And how does Mankind fit into all this, JR asks? What about Mark Marrow? When did he become a non-factor? Anywho, the show continues on one more time. We head back to WWF Studios with Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson. Jim Cornette also shown in a split screen, watching from the locker room at the arena, Corny says he isn't concerned of their new partner because everyone worth a damn 
already has commitments at the In Your House pay-per-view. Anyone left? Cornette doesn't seem to be worried about. As the baby faces then reveal their third partner, he has arrived. Stepping out from behind the back of Ahmed Johnson, and it is, it's, it's Psycho Sid. As the split screen shows the cameraman pan out, Sid has arrived. And on the other camera, Jim Cornette losing his frickin' mind, guys. Not him, anyone, but Sid. And look what we have for Camp Cornette. My, my. Psycho Sid! You're looking at me! And you're probably asking yourself, Sean Michaels, what have you got and done? Yeah, twice. He's opened the gates of hell, and he has released me. This time for you, Cornette, and the Cornette camp. There's nothing. There's no good news. Because I can hear you. I can hear you screaming out for help. For help. But there's no one there. <laughs> much rather be on this team, believe me. There's no one there! Thank you, gentlemen, and Jim Cornette. Put the camera back on me! What are you trying to do to me? Gorilla Monsoon, somebody's trying to do... Cam Cornette is not going to get in the ring with that guy. He's a nut. That's why he hadn't been in the WWF. He's been locked up someplace getting treatment. Putting electrodes to his head. They've traded out the gas chamber for the electric chair. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I ain't going to put up with this. There's no way that Cam Cornette is going to be forced to get in the ring with a stinking monster like Psycho Sid. I'm calling Clarence Mason. I'm doing whatever I got to do. But one way or another, Hello, and you heard it right there from the man himself, Sid, stating that Shawn Michaels has opened the gates of hell and he releases Psycho Sid yet again on the World Wrestling Federation. And this time, Sid is coming for Jim Cornette. And what a coup to replace the Ultimate Warrior. Not a lot of guys out there. And they go and they have some conversations and in comes Sid. And for what this episode of Raw was, you've got Warrior abruptly departing the company again. And with the matches being pre-taped several weeks ago, the WWF, you got to give it to them, did a masterful job of recreating this episode of Raw and their main event storyline for the In Your House pay-per-view, intersplicing all of these post-production interviews with Gorilla Monsoon, Sean and Ahmed, of course, Sid showing up, Mr. Perfect on the phone, Jim Cornette. They somehow managed to take WCW's huge NWO reveal of the third man and play into it here on their side as well. So kudos to the WWF there. Now, as far as the show, this was there. Solid in parts, but for what they had to work with, given the circumstances, they did an amazing job this week of pivoting their storylines and having everything make sense and come off fluid. Excellent job in rebooking and producing this week. And the match focus in the ring here on Raw this week, all on the heel team Camp Cornette, who will be headlining the upcoming main event at that In Your House pay-per-view. Now, in regards to the situation with Sid popping up here on Raw, DeMelt says Sid was flown into Stamford, Connecticut on July the 8th, while Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and Jim Cornette, who worked Providence the previous night, stayed in town here in Stamford to do a series of vignettes taped earlier that day that ran throughout the Raw show. So they actually filmed these segments with Sid, Shawn, Jim Cornette, Ahmed Johnson the day that Raw aired. So they, they essentially produced this new episode, if you will, of Raw splicing in all of these interview segments the same day that the show makes air here on the USA Network. Unbelievable for 1996. Well done from the WWF. And it should be known all throughout the show, Vince McMahon continued to express his hope that the Ultimate Warrior would return 
and we haven't seen the last of them. So as a production time here on July 8th, it was clear Vince was hoping cooler heads would prevail and the Warrior would post that appearance bond and return to the company. Unfortunately, we know this marks the end of the Warrior Man in the WWF rings. As we move on to take a look at segment of the night, was it the Warriors' final match here in the WWF on TV taking on the two-time Slammy Award-winning Owen Hart? Was it Savio Vega going one-on-one with Bradshaw in a very solid old-school matchup? Was it the tag team matchup between the Godwins versus Vader and the Bulldog? Really, Henry Godwin really showing some stuff there. Or could it have been simply the return of Psycho Sid at the end of the program? And this one's a hard one for me because you have to think that that return of Sid was easily the biggest thing going down on this episode of Raw, no doubt about it. But it was so quick and over with within a minute or so, maybe two minutes of time here on TV, to the point where I feel like wrestling-wise, and you, and I feel like I'm doing this a lot here on Raw, they have like 30 seconds of good promos or, or angles, and then we have to look over here and say, well, this match was okay, so I'm not really sure who to give it here this week. Who, who do you guys think? Do you think, do we give it to a two-minute segment, or do we give kudos to... Savio and Bradshaw for putting on a, a hell of an old school, solid, lengthy match here on Raw. I really have to go with Savio and Bradshaw wrestling wise in the ring, but no doubt about it at the end of the day, if you're just looking for the thing that really popped the fans here, it has to be the return of Sid, the surprise return of Sid replacing the Warrior at the end of the show. So we lose the Ultimate Warrior, but we gain Psycho Sid all in the same program here. Two really big pieces of noteworthy news in the World Wrestling Federation. And sandwiched in the middle of all that, Henry Goblin looked pretty good out there. And of course, like I said, Savio Vega versus Bradshaw is your match of the night here on Raw. And I hate to look past that, but I have to say that the returning Sid, that has to be the biggest part of Raw here for me this week. As we move over to the WCW side of things and some World Championship Wrestling news, as it appears that Blood Runs Cold is going to be several wrestlers, one of whom will be Georgia indie native Ray Lloyd, a.k.a. Glacier. So Blood Runs Cold, more than just one wrestler at this point, it would seem. In other news, I got this from The Observer. WCW Power Plant newcomer Chip Minton competed as part of the two-man bobsled team at the 1992 Olympics, but he finished in 14th place, so they didn't medal. And Chip, he'll fare about the same here in WCW. That is, if you watch the MGM Studio shows anyway. Otherwise, you're probably asking yourself, Chip who? And I don't mean Jim Neidhart. It's reported that Keiji Muto, Kinsuke Sasaki, and Masa Saito will be in the United States from August 25th through August the 30th, so they may do some WCW TV during that time period. Word is also out that WCW has made a three-year offer to the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, $400,000 per year, offered to the British Bulldog by WCW, while over in the Titan department, the WWF has countered with a $250,000 downside guarantee for five years. Really interesting offers on both sides here for the British Bulldog. As remember, he'd already put in his notice with the WWF trying to get a better deal with Vince McMahon rather than having to leave for WCW, but he's playing both sides of the fence. What do you, what's the best offer for the British Bulldog here? We're going to have to wait and see what happens there. It's also noted that Ted DiBiase will be coming into WCW as a TV announcer in the fall and it's reported that he'd be added to the Nitro lineup. Has WCW heard anything that DiBiase did on WWF commentary? No thanks. Of course, they will actually wind up finding something else for DiBiase to do, which also will end an epic failure. 
And it appears there's been lots of discussion of bringing in Chris Jericho from ECW. Ironically, Jericho just a few days away from losing the ECW TV title here to Shane Douglas in an awesome four-corner match at the Heat Wave event at the ECW Arena. Also in that match, Two Cold Scorpio and Pitbull number two. Lots of things transpired there, and we're not talking about ECW here, but what a great time. Peak ECW, 1996 into mid-1997. And speaking of big events, we are just 24 hours removed from that epic Bash at the Beach pay-per-view, which took place July 7th in Daytona Beach at the Ocean Center. And here's just some really quick results in a dark match. It was Jimmy Powers over Hugh Morris. Well, that's no laughing matter. Also on the main event pre-show, several matches taking place there. They also did an ongoing angle all night long about the whereabouts of Eric Bischoff, who was uh, apparently missing in action from his commentary position here on the main event all night, wondering where is Eric Bischoff? Did the outsiders get a hold of Eric again? Where could he be? They run with that angle all night long. But meanwhile, matches here on the main event. We get a rematch from Nitro last week. The Steiners again challenging tag team champions Harlem Heat, this time scoring the win over the Heat, but only by a disqualification. Also on the show, hard work Bobby Walker scores a win over up-and-comer Billy Kidman. Listen to this one. The Rock and Roll Express defeating the team of Fire and Ice. The Rock and Roll's Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson defeating Scott Norton and Ice Train. And while I haven't seen this match in a while, you have to think there was some miscommunication there on the end of Fire and Ice to do the job to the Rock and Rolls. And in the main event of the main event, it was Eddie Guerrero over Lord Steven Regal, but don't get excited, guys. The match only went about three and a half minutes. It was literally nothing. Eddie Guerrero, though, scoring a win over Regal as we headed into the big pay-per-view. Bash at the Beach opener saw Rey Mysterio Jr. defeating the debuting Psychosis. Rey here turning a splash mountain off the middle rope midair into a Hurricane Rana, scoring the win over his arch nemesis Psychosis in their very first match here in WCW. And what a match it was. I invite you guys to go back and watch it. In fact, it was the highest-rated match of the night here, as far as the Observer goes. And then we go from the highest-rated match on the card, followed by the lowest-rated match on the card. It's Big John Tenta scoring a win over Big Bubba, no trouble, in a Carson City Silver Dollars on a pole match. It was essentially a sock loaded with silver dollars hung at the top of the largest pole in professional wrestling history. I shit you not, guys. This is not an exaggeration. That pole had to be 20 feet in the air. And how does a 300-plus-pound man and a 400-plus-pound man scale a pole that size? Well, it's simple. They don't. Jimmy Hart instead forced to climb the pole and fetch that sock of silver dollars only for Tenta to intercept the sock, blast Big Bubba, and score the win there. And the entire thing was as bad as it sounds. And as much as I encourage you guys to go back and watch that Psychosis Rey Mysterio match, I also invite you guys to go back and check that out as well because it has to be seen to be believed. Also, at Bash of the Beach, it was Diamond Dallas Page scoring a win over Hacksaw Duggan in a tape fist match. DDP went low to the groin of Duggan and then blasted him with the bang diamond cutter. Going to score the win there for DDP over Hacksaw post-match, though. Duggan getting his heat back, or at least that's what he was attempting to do here, KOing DDP with the tape fist. Also on the pay-per-view, it was the Nasty Boys over the public enemy in a Double dog collar match. Just a nasty match. A match in which Sags admitted that he nearly broke his neck in. The finish saw the Nasties hitting Rocco Rock with a clothesline with a chain and then slamming the chain down on top of Rock's body before securing the win there. 
Also on the card, Cruiserweight Champion Dean Malenko retaining the title over the Disco Inferno in a surprisingly good match. Malenko using a double underhook powerbomb, turning it into a Texas Cloverleaf for the Texas Cloverleaf there. Steve McMichael stepped into the ring to defeat Joe Gomez with a tombstone pile driver, and the Nature Boy Ric Flair defeating the United States Champion Conan after Conan getting hit by woman's high heel shoe. Flair also putting his feet on the ropes for added leverage there, scoring the win to capture the United States Heavyweight Championship. Ric Flair, the new U.S. Champion, coming out of the bash. Also on the card, it was the Giant, WCW Champion the Giant, teaming with Kevin Sullivan, scoring a win over Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. When Sullivan and Benoit began brawling around ringside, it was the Giant dropping Arn Anderson in the chokeslam to pick up the win. And then, of course, we go into the main event, the Outsiders, along with a mystery partner who seemed to be a no-show. Initially here, taking on the team of the Macho Man Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger. And it was Luger sandwiched early on in the matchup, becoming injured and being stretchered out of the match, leaving it two-on-two for the time being as we waited for that mystery third partner to show up the Outsiders, if they even had one. And a lot of people at this point in time, no doubt about it, with Luger being stretchered out, and especially so early in the match, it was speculated by many, I assure you, that Luger was going to come back out to quote-unquote make the save, only to turn heel and join the NWO. It only made sense. Luger coming off of a WWF run less than a year prior, And of all the people involved here, he seemed like the most logical choice. But it turns out we were all fooled, guys, because Luger never returns to this match, but instead with Savage down on the mat, being taken advantage of by the Outsiders. It was Hulk Hogan back to save the day, and his red and yellow Hulkster hits the ring, only to drop the leg on the macho man Randy Savage. Not once, but twice before tossing the referee out of the ring and dropping a third leg drop across the chest, the throat of the former mega power partner of Hulk Hogan. Yes, indeed, guys, I'm sad to say Hulk Hogan has turned heel on all of the fans, all of the children. He tells everyone to stick it, brother, as Hulk Hogan as the mystery partner of the Outsiders, and they begin the formation of the NWO. As for the matchup results, apparently a no contest here. Hogan hits the ring, and everybody loses their mind. Everyone starts throwing trash to the ring. Hogan cuts a lengthy heel promo that you wouldn't believe. And just like that, the professional wrestling landscape has changed. And Hulk Hogan, now the top heel in World Championship Wrestling. And with that said, we move on to the July 8th edition of WCW Monday Nitro in Orlando, Florida at Disney MGM Studios, the outdoor venue here. Really cool look, reportedly in front of 600 fans, all freebies, of course. And Meltzer, he's going to change that attendance figure here next week. But for now, we'll stick with quote-unquote, 600 fans. But you want to talk about a different look and feel from the WWF Raw show, this outdoor nitro in the middle of the Disney theme park. Just a really cool setup here from WCW. And an interesting story goes along with this because, you see, this is 1996, and in 96, the Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia, Turner country, meaning that Turner Broadcasting was low on production staff, their trucks, the equipment, and even the freelancers that WCW would sometimes use They were all tied up with production, cameras, audio, all assisting with the Olympics. And Bischoff has stated, so they had to come up with something relatively simplistic and easy to produce from. They couldn't go from big venue to big venue week to week like they had been doing up until now with Nitro. Not while the Olympics are going on. And Disney and MGM, they had their own production, their own editors, and etc. 
so there wouldn't be a need for outside sources. So it seemed like the perfect option here for WCW. They'd already had a great relationship using the studios for Worldwide and the like. And to be honest with you guys, it had a really cool feel about it too. Really cool look. Do you do this year round? No, but it made for some great visuals here in the summer of 96. As we begin hour one, it's Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko opening the show, rocking polos here in the humid Florida weather, as Tony begins to talk what happened at Bash at the Beach. And hi once again, everyone, along with the living legend Larry Zbysko. I'm Tony Schiavone, your host for the very first hour of this exciting two-hour television program. Ladies and gentlemen, we are one day removed from one of the most shocking, one of the most startling, one of the most disappointing, disheartening events in the history of our sport. Last night at Bash at the Beach, we found out who the third man was. We were all stunned. It was disbelief, Larry, and I can tell you right now, later on in this television program, in the second hour, words cannot describe what happened last night, but the pictures will. We will show you exactly what Hulk Hogan did to World Championship Wrestling and all the fans worldwide, Larry. You know, there was one adjective you left out. It was the word disgusting. I'm disgusted. It was an act of total unmanliness that I'm never going to waste my time commenting on right now. And Tony Schiavone says the Hulk Hogan turn was one of the most startling, disappointing, disheartening events in the history of our sport. Tony has been known to over-exaggerate with that line in the past, but he's on the money here this week as they promise pictures of the Hulk Hogan turn will air in hour two here on TNT, so stay tuned. And if you guys are wondering, why wouldn't they show a video of something this important? Well, you guys got to remember, contracts at the time wouldn't allow WCW to show pay-per-view footage within X amount of days after the pay-per-view aired here on free TV because those pay-per-view providers, they were banking on people ordering the replays here later this week. And speaking of still photos from Bash of the Beach, we see photos of the matches involving Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis, as well as Disco Inferno and Dean Malenko from the Bash of the Beach pay-per-view. Before we head to the ring, both men scoring wins in their matches at the pay-per-view. They meet here today on Nitro, and it is Cruiserweight Champion Dean Malenko taking on Rey Mysterio Jr. here this week. And as you guys might imagine, right out of the gate, it's excellent and innovative stuff from Rey and Mysterio with an around-the-world arm drag that's just so fluid. It ha- has to be seen to be believed. It's not your typical around-the-world, around-the-body arm drag. It was around the shoulders, almost like a Harlem Globetrotter type thing with a basketball, only it's Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio. Really hard to explain, but I, I invite you guys to go check it out yourselves. Uh, but it's just amazing. Rey Mysterio floating around the body of Dean Malenko into an arm drag. And as the action continues, springboard dropkick by Rey, going to get a two-count is Ray then countering a powerbomb attempt by Malenko into another arm drag. But this time, Dean back on top of the tilt-to-world backbreaker. Finally going to gain control of the matchup. Dean, with sort of an overhead Uranagi throw, and goes into a surfboard stretch to slow the match down as we head into our first commercial break. Only three minutes into the match. And then back from break, we're going to get the meat of the match. Here's Dean Malenko with a nasty tiger bomb. Gets a near fall there and then turns it right over into a camel clutch, looking to continue to keep Mysterio grounded on the mat. Wise decision by Malenko here. And Dino going to remain on the offense, eventually picking Mysterio up, hooking him for a vertical suplex, picking Ray's body up into the air, and then launching him, throwing Mysterio forwards, rib first across the top rope. Another great spot there. You can't do it with everyone. 
but a guy of Mysterio's size looks absolutely awesome. Malenko picking him up in the air into a vertical suplex and then just throwing caution to the wind. Mysterio landing across that top rope. Another awesome bump by Ray Ray. And the action continues on as they spill outside Malenko with a brain buster on the floor. Holy jeez. How is this just a quote-unquote spot in the middle of the match? Maybe Dean shouldn't be over there in AEW. What's he teaching these guys? I'm not complaining, though. What an awesome spot. Out of nowhere, out of the blue, he he launches Mysterio onto that top rope. Mysterio falls to the outside. Dean follows him out and drops him with a brain buster on the floor. But these guys aren't even close to done yet. All that seems to do is wear Ray down a little more as Mysterio rolled back inside, and we get more groundwork from there by Malenko. Ray Mysterio sneaking in a hope spot here and there. And finally, it is Mysterio with a Hurricane Rana taking Dean over the top rope and out to the floor. Mysterio landing on the apron and Mysterio with an acai moonsault way into the air. Mysterio clearing that top rope by several feet. Oh my God, the height on this acai moonsault. But he only connects with about 10% of Malenko's body and crashes hard beyond the padded mat and onto the concrete. Remember, we're outside, guys. Mysterio with a gigantic move, an acai moonsault that gets insane height into the air and then comes crashing down, almost completely missing Malenko. Dean did a good job of getting in there, but man, Mysterio landing 90% of his body splat right down on the hard concrete on the outside of the ring. And I just wrote here in my notes, holy shit. Unbelievable stuff here by Rey Mysterio. And both men selling the bump, and they had to here. But Rey eventually pops back up and goes to the top rope. Malenko now back in the ring. Mysterio leaping off the top rope into a flying snap. Hurricane Rana for one, two, but Malenko out again. And then from there, it's Rey with an Arabian press. Gonna get him another two count before Dean Malenko comes back with a fireman's carry off the middle rope into a gut buster. We've seen it before, but man, this is amazing. He gets up on that middle rope, has Rey Mysterio, who's looking for a top rope, Hurricane Rana. Malenko counters it, puts Rey across his shoulders in a fireman's carry, standing there on the middle rope, and then tosses Rey up over his head in midair and drives him down into a gut buster when they land on the mat. Absolutely brilliant stuff here by both guys. And that somehow nets Dean only a near fall as Rey manages to kick out. But the cruiserweight champion gets cocky, and he starts to toy around with Mysterio on the mat, pulling him up from a cover. You never do that, Dean. Then from there, it's the champion, Dean Malenko, sending Mysterio off the ropes for another tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, but Ray counters in midair, turning it into a Hurricane Rana pinfall attempt. One, two, three! Ray Mysterio scores the win over Dean Malenko here. Nine minutes and 30 seconds shown of probably about a 12-and-a-half-minute matchup. But we got the meat and potatoes here, guys. I think they, uh, they, they did a lot of groundwork during that commercial break, so we didn't miss a whole lot. And admittedly, it would be nice to have seen the whole entire matchup, but still lots of great action here on Nitro as Rey Mysterio is our brand new cruiserweight champion. Unbelievable matchup. And just a shame they didn't make it more definitive here because Dean Malenko pulling Rey Mysterio up from pinfall attempts right before the pin, and and I get it, it's supposed to be an upset or a surprise win here from Mysterio out of nowhere, but man, I would have liked to have seen it been just a little more definitive, but I'm nitpicking, guys, because Mysterio, he earned this spot in the company in quick fashion. He's been here a month, guys, believe it or not. To use the word impressive is an understatement. His offense, his style, it literally 
literally changed the game forever here in the mainstream. And his ability to adapt to the American quote-unquote big league style, yet not change his Lucha Libre style all that much, it's pretty flawless how he just kind of morphed over into that American style here. And still, he's still Rey Mysterio Jr. And I go back to what I just said a couple lines ago. I can't stress how important Rey Mysterio's arrival in WCW was to United States wrestling. And I'll be honest with you guys, I'll admit it. I've gotten so disenchanted with Rey Mysterio's overall body of work because of the last 20 years of how he's been used, mostly in the WWE, and of course in and out with all of those injuries, and rightfully so based on some of the bumps he took right here in this very matchup. But what an amazing reminder and a refresher and a reintroduction for me to the man and the style I fell in love with back in the mid-1990s. I'll go on record right now, and I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know, but Rey Mysterio Jr. was just absolutely awesome, and certainly a deserved member of any wrestling's Hall of Fame. Wow, what a fun match for TV, and Rey Mysterio has been nothing but impressive since arriving here in WCW, and again, he's only been here a month. So much more to come, and I can't wait for it. And now, guys, we go from the sublime to the sub-slime as it's the Nasty Boys, Knobs and Sags, standing in the backstage area, preparing to be interviewed by Mean Gene Oakland. Also in this setting is the Steiner Brothers. So we see both the Nasties and the Steiners here for a promo at the same time here, Mean Gene standing in between the two teams. As we learn, they have a matchup coming here later tonight on Nitro to determine the number one contenders for Harlem Heat's tag team titles at the next WCW pay-per-view, Hog Wild. The Steiners coming off two title opportunities already against the Harlem Heat over the last week. Remember, they challenged them on Nitro last week and then again at the pay-per-view, the pre-show, the main event of the Bash at the Beach. And that's not counting two weeks ago on Nitro when the Steiners, Heat, Sting, and Luger were all part of a tag team title match. So the Steiners have uh, actually had three title shots in the past two weeks' time. But hey, who's counting? Apparently, they're in the running again here this week, taking on the Nasty Boys on Nitro for another shot at the upcoming pay-per-view. So the Steiner's still in the hunt, and let's not forget the Nasty Boys defeated Public Enemy, that double dog collar chain match at Bash at the Beach as well. As Scotty talks about getting screwed last week due to Rob Parker's interference, Rick getting clocked across the head with Robert Parker's cane. Rick slides in a quick, didn't hurt. I bet it didn't, Rick. Scott Steiner cutting a promo here when he's cut off by the Nasty Boys, who Scott calls fatsos. Scott says he doesn't agree with how the Nasty Boys act. He doesn't agree with how the Nasties dress, but he gives them credit for their wrestling ability? Really, Scott? That's pushing it. The Nasties from there say they don't care about the personal issues between the Steiners and the Harlem Heat. They want the tag team titles. And tonight, the Steiners are going to Nastyville. But Rick Steiner, he begs to differ. The Nasties are the ones going to the dog pound. Rick Steiner begins to sniff around the interview area. He says he's on the trail of the Harlem Heat. As this promo continues to get more and more ridiculous by the second, I'll be honest with you guys, skip this if you get here because this entire thing was absolutely awful. Honestly, the promo overall, borderline embarrassing and downright hokey. But the show goes on at well, well, well. What do we have here? Our world is about to change. Enter the realm. Blood runs cold. 
In each of us burns the fury of a warrior. Yes, indeed, our world is still about to change, but no longer a starting date for Glacier. It was announced that he would be coming in the month of July. Now, Glacier just coming to WCW. Thanks a lot, NWO. As the show continues on tag team action in the ring, it's the Blue Bloods, Lord Steven Regal and Squire David Taylor, with Jeeves and Earl Robert Eaton in their corner, taking on the team of Big Bubba, no Trubba, and Hugh Morris, along with Jimmy Hart in their corner. Of course, Morris and Bubba part of the Dungeon of Doom. And in recent weeks, they've been uh, teasing dissension in the Blue Bloods camp, but not here tonight. And to our UK fan base out there, the listeners over in the UK, this ain't your grandpa's world of sport. That's for sure. A good minute of stalling before Dave Taylor gets cued here, drop kicks Hugh Morris down, and then turns to the hard camera to throw up a peace sign before turning back around and eating a clothesline from Hugh Morris. Then it's Big Bubba tagging in, but the Blue Bloods take over in their corner with double teaming on poor Big Bubba. But then out of nowhere, Steven Regal runs into a boss man slam. I mean, Bubba Spike going to get one, two, but David Taylor in to break up the count. Bubba slam out of nowhere there as Hugh Morris tagging back into the matchup while Big John Tenta apparently not done with Big Bubba coming to ringside and attacking Big Bubba. Out on the floor, the two men begin fighting away from ringside behind the referee's back, no doubt. With Hugh Morris distracted by everything going on, the Blue Bloods sneaking up behind him, delivering a nasty folding double back suplex. Hugh Morris folded in half there, and the Blue Blood's going to steal the win in just three minutes. And remember, guys, the first minute of that was just stalling. Needless to say, a nothing match to get these guys on TV, I suppose. As it's off to a WCW magazine commercial, it's still the same commercial for the, well, hell, the the entire year it feels like so far. It's, It's young Garrett Bischoff, the son of Eric Bischoff, reading a WCW magazine and morphing into Sting, as we learned this month. In WCW Magazine, it's all about the booty man. A little outdated, I'd say. Also, that's your selling point this month, guys? Ugh. We also learned this week on WCW Saturday Night, the public enemy going to take on tag team champions Harlem Heat. So apparently the best and quickest way to get a title shot is just to lose. Way to go, public enemy. And it's back to the rink. More great action, no doubt, coming our way. It's Eddie Guerrero going to take on Psychosis. And Psychosis made his WCW TV debut, I do believe, at the Bash at the Beast pay-per-view just 24 hours prior. I know he's got a couple of matches recorded as well from MGM at this point, but we're just 24 hours removed from that Rey Mysterio Psychosis match, which was a hell of a match in itself. But Psychosis coming off a loss there to Mysterio last night. He's going to hope to avenge that here against Eddie Guerrero. Easier said than done as the match gets going. No intros here. These guys are ready to go coming out of a commercial break in what absolutely marks Psychosis' Nitro debut. I know that for sure. And we get an insert promo here as the match gets going from Rey Mysterio Jr. talking Hulk Hogan's turn on WCW. And that's going to be a running theme all night long. Everybody got a comment on Hulk Hogan making that turn the prior night at Bash at the Beach. And here it's, it's kind of funny listening to Rey talk. He sounds very young and so soft-spoken. Not a very good promo either, but it's one of his first... He says that Hulk Hogan let the kids down, and he let Mysterio down too. And that's pretty much the gist there of the Mysterio insert. As the announcers also announced that Hulk Hogan 
will be on Nitro next week. You guys are going to have to wait for him. Then it's off to the action here. Guerrero and Psychosis get going. Some basic offense traded here, leading into a stalemate of sorts. Then Eddie and Psychosis trading counters, flipping and spinning out of attempted moves and landing on their feet every time. It's fun seeing Eddie work the Lucha style. We've seen him work a lot with Ric Flair and some of the other guys over the past six to eight months. And we've also seen him work the likes of Dean Malenko. Now, maybe not the levels of those ECW classics, but Eddie, we know he can go. And he gets that opportunity here in the ring with a guy like Psychosis. Finally, though, Guerrero with a spinning arm drag sends Psychosis diving to the floor. But on his way out of the ring, Psychosis gets caught crotch first across the bottom rope. Not sure if he did that intentionally or not. Either way, selling the low blow here. Really cool spot. Eddie Guerrero arm dragging Psychosis. He's trying to take the bump out to the floor. But as he tries to dive through the ropes, he gets caught crotch first across the bottom rope, rolls out of the ring, and then sells it on the outside. From there, Eddie Guerrero teasing a top rope dive all the way to the floor, but Psychosis running off, backing away, making sure Eddie doesn't take that leap. Then back inside, Guerrero working a headlock before being dumped out to the floor himself. And then it's Psychosis up to the top rope this time with a corkscrew plancha off the top rope and out to the floor. Where's Mike Tanay when you need him, guys? Then back inside, Psy working Eddie's arm. Never thought I'd write that. Never thought I'd say that. Refer to Psychosis as Psy. But saying psychosis repeatedly gets monotonous. So back inside, Psy working the arm of Eddie Guerrero locks in a cross arm breaker. That doesn't seem to work, but he stays on the injured arm of Guerrero here. I guess you could say psychology here from psychosis. See what I did there, guys? Psychosis continues on shooting Guerrero into the air, but Guerrero turning a potential backdrop into a Hurricane Rana roll up for a near fall himself. It's a good thing that wasn't the finish because that's exactly how Mysterio beat Dean Malenko just two matches ago. Action rolls on though. Psychosis comes off the top, but lands straight down into an atomic drop, which sounds a little silly. A guy jumping off the top rope, landing down crotch first onto the knee of his opponent. It did sound silly, but the delivery here, the spot, the bump, it was great. Good job by both guys in this one. Guerrero continues on looking for control, but he misses a charge in the corner and further injures that arm by accidentally ramming it into the ring post. Psychosis out of the way there, and right back to the top rope is Psychosis with a flying Rana. Going to score him a near fall here, and Psychosis isn't done here. Right back to the top rope again, but Eddie Guerrero following him up top. It looks like Eddie may be looking for a top rope superplex, but Psychosis countering into a sunset flip bomb off the top rope. One, two, but Eddie Guerrero manages to kick out again and sigh for the third time in a row, going back to the top rope yet again. Maybe going to the well one too many times this time as Eddie Guerrero again follows him up, and this time Guerrero connects with that superplex he was looking for, and then it's the frog splash. And a particularly cool-looking frog splash is Eddie doesn't do the, the frog maneuver in, in the splash until like a split second before he makes the landing. Eddie Guerrero going to connect with that frog splash of his, going to get the win over Psychosis in 8 minutes and 33 seconds. So nothing wrong with losing to Rey Mysterio or Eddie Guerrero on back-to-back -back nights, but it's not the very best way to introduce someone to WCW, to the WCW crowd. I felt like this sort of pegged Psychosis as a level down from these guys, whether they meant to do it or not, whether it was intentional or not. And it's interesting to see Eddie go from TV matches with the likes of a Ric Flair but now placed here in the cruiser-style type matchup 
with psychosis. So we'll have to see if this is just a one-time deal this week or what happens with Eddie moving forward. Now, as for the match itself, the body of work here in this match, the Luchadors have arrived in WCW, no doubt about that at this point, and they have upped the bar in regards to the term good TV match. This opens up a whole new world moving forward, guys, not just in WCW, not just in the Monday Night War, but it changes the game forever. And as fans, we're all luckier for it, to put it mildly. And if this is what I have to look forward to each and every week moving forward, I can't wait. Eddie Guerrero picking up a win there over Psychosis as we're off to Mean Gene Oakland yet again, standing in the aisleway here with Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and the WCW champion, the Giant. These guys were victorious last night over the likes of Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. As Gene states his shock of Hulk Hogan's turn to the heels here, the Dungeon of Doom replied, Jimmy Hart goes silent. He's lost for words. The heel Jimmy Hart lost for words on the turn of Hulk Hogan. He says he has no comment on Hogan's turn. It's almost like a baby-faced Jimmy Hart here. He's so shocked at the turning of the Hulkster to the dark side. Even the heel Jimmy Hart, who's tried to take Hogan out, can't believe it. From there, Kevin Sullivan says he spent two years trying to end Hulkamania, but it wound up being Hogan who destroyed it himself. Sullivan then talks Chris Benoit being a madman, and I should mention Sullivan covered in bruises from his battle with Benoit last night during that tag team matchup. Jimmy Hart then chiming back in here on the promo, throwing back to the Outsiders, Hulk Hogan's turn. Jimmy Hart theorizes that they may all be out of jobs here very soon. The NWO may put them out of business. The Giant then, the voice of reason, trying to calm everyone down, reminding them all that he is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and as long as he's the champ, nothing can go wrong with WCW. Then from there, the Giant seems to rewrite WCW history, claiming that He took this title from Hulk Hogan back at Halloween Havoc and implying that he's held it ever since. Intriguing? And that's pretty much it for the promo. The Giant not worried at all. He's the champ. It doesn't seem to phase him that Hogan made the heel turn. The outsiders don't seem to bother the Giant. He's playing it cool now because as long as he's the champion, there's no problems here in WCW. The key in that phrase there is as long as he is champion. We'll see how long that lasts. Jimmy Hart, a little over the top for me. If you're a heel and you've been trying to take a guy out and then he makes the turn himself, I don't know that you would be this somber about it. Kevin Sullivan, on the other hand, I love the line about he tried so hard for two years to destroy Hulkamania and it was Hogan himself who destroyed it. Then it's back to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers now scheduled to take on the Nasty Boys in that number one contender match. Remember, the winner of this match to meet the Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Titles at Hog Wild. And as the bell sounds, the Nasties get Scott back in their corner, and it's four fistuses flying here, which means it's a little clubbering time. As we begin this matchup, Scotty, though, going to make the comeback with a double underhook powerbomb on Jerry Sags, but Knobs rushing in to attack, but he's cut off by a Rick Steiner line. And the Nasties both bail out of the ring to regroup here. Rick then going to tag in for his team, but the Nasty Boys are back on the offense as they land the assisted avalanche splash by Knobs in the corner on Rick Steiner, going to get the Nasties a two count, but Rick Steiner comes battling back, catching Knobs in midair and turning it into a Buzz Sawyer power slam. And then Knobs popping up, running into another Steiner line, going to get Rick Steiner a two count there. And as the action continues on, here comes the Nitro countdown. That little shitty dynamite clock in the bottom right corner of the screen tells us it's almost time for hour two. As in the ring, Scott Steiner delivering a T-bone suplex 
on Brian Knobs. But Sags then taking Scott Steiner out to the floor, blasting him out of nowhere with a chair across the arm. Really legit, completely unsafe horseshit here by the Nasty Boys, as usual. And I presume this was done as a way to keep everyone down and to kind of cool the match down as we count down three, two, one, to our number two of Nitro begins. We get one little pyro going off in the corner as we trade announcers. We go from Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco over to Eric Bischoff and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And hey, the Bish is back. Remember, guys, Bischoff was missing in action. Last night at the Bash of the Beach, the pre-show, the main event, he was supposed to be the play-by-play man. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody. And inexplicably, Bischoff has returned here on Nitro, and he'll get into that more after the matchup. And speaking of the match, the action continues here. Back in the ring, Scott Steiner with a rolling belly-to-belly on Brian Knobs, but sags in to quickly break up the cover. Sags then tagged back in, but he eats an overhead belly-to-belly from Scott as well. Scott Steiner on a roll. Then out of nowhere, we're shown Colonel Rob Parker, and is that Sherry? Sherry back in WCW. She and Rob Parker, remember, they were set to get married at the beginning of the year when Sherry stumbled onto that Clash of the Champions set legitimately bombed out of her mind drunk. Sherry made her return yesterday at the Bash at the Beach show, and we see Parker and Sherry talking amongst each other in the aisleway here as the action continues on in the ring. Sherry rushing to ringside to distract referee Nick Patrick while Rob Parker sneaking around from behind on the other side of the ring. Parker goes to blast Scott Steiner across the back. Scott Steiner leaning against the ropes here. Parker cocks back. Not that cock. Might break somebody's back. But Robert Parker with his cane going to blast Scott Steiner across the back here. So it's clear that Harlem Heat does not want to face the Steiner brothers for a third time. But as Parker goes to crack Scotty with the cane, Sags also charges at Scott Steiner. And Scotty moving out of the way of Sags causes Sags to run right into the cane shot of Colonel Robert Parker. Parker accidentally cracking Sags instead across the skull with the cane. And down goes Sags in a well-constructed spot. Kudos to everyone involved there. Sags is out on the mat as Scott Steiner climbs on top and makes the cover one, two, and three. The Steiner brothers will take the win here over the Nasty Boys in six minutes and six seconds. Going to earn themselves another title shot here. And we've seen the Steiners and the Nasty Boys before, and I got to tell you guys, this wasn't Halloween Havoc 1990, but the right team did win. And we have some storylines in place here for the Steiner brothers and the Harlem Heat. And if you dig a little deeper, the Nasty Boys now have a gripe as well with both teams. Of course, Robert Parker getting involved in the finish and Scott Steiner climbing on top and stealing the win there. The Nasties could argue they deserve a rematch. So at least at this point, we're still paying attention to storylines outside of the NWO. As we see Disney fireworks go off in the background. And then it's Mean Gene Okerlund standing by in the ring with the Nasty Boys. Two promos in one night. You've got to be shitting me. And I guess those higher-ups in WCW weren't watching the promo from earlier, so these guys get to talk again. Mean Gene going to talk to Knobs and Sags here. Sags says that change is inevitable, and the Nasty Boys also need to change. Sags essentially saying that they too can fight fire with fire. As the promo goes on, Knobs references Hulk Hogan's heel turn last night at the Bash as does everyone on the show. Knob says, while he doesn't condone what Hulk Hogan did at Bash at the Beach, it was indeed a shock, but Knob says he doesn't see anything wrong with what Hulk Hogan did either. 
Gene tries to tell the Nasty Boys that we're all in this together here in WCW, but Nobbs replies, you're in this together, Gene, as the NWO does what the Nasties used to do, which is anything they wanted, anytime they wanted. So the Nasty Boys planting the seeds here of potentially joining the NWO, potentially going rogue, and we'll see this tease some more, but the Nasties and the NWO, that would have been a bad idea. As we throw it to Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan at the commentary desk, and prior to the start of the next matchup, Eric Bischoff mentions he was at a last-minute business meeting yesterday during the Bash of the Peach pay-per-view, which is why he didn't arrive for the play-by-play for the WCW main event portion of the show. And apparently, he informed nobody of this meeting because it seemed like nobody in WCW knew where Eric Bischoff was. Seems kind of odd that the executive director or whatever his deal is now at this point in WCW would miss a pay-per-view and not inform anyone as to where he was or what he was doing. But for storyline purposes, we'll ignore that and move on, head back to the ring. It's the brand new United States Heavyweight Champion, Ric Flair. Hasn't had that belt in a long time. Defeated Conan at the bash for that belt after the use of woman's shoe. And Flair's scheduled to defend that title here tonight against Jimmy Powers of WWF fame. And I guess that's what you can call it as somehow Jimmy Powers manages to snag himself a very similar theme to his Crank It Up theme in WWF here in WCW as well. Now, no lyrics, but the theme is very familiar here. And Powers also seems to have found a new steroid supplier as well. Wow, talk about jacked up. Jacked up Jimmy Powers, juiced Jimmy Powers. Plenty of nicknames here I can think of for Jim Powers in this matchup as he is jacked to the gills. And make no mistake about it, this is a title match, guys. We're told over and over You see someone like a Jim Powers standing across the ring. You might think, eh, non-title. Nope. The announcers make sure to remind us over and over that the title is on the line here tonight on Nitro. As Ric Flair out next, the new U.S. champion, bringing out with him three lovely ladies, all of them in their own unique dress, woman dressed for a fancy evening out. Deborah looks like the Southern Belle that she is. And then, of course, Leather Liz. Mmm. And to the ring for action as Ric Flair gives Jimmy Powers some offense early on with Rick taking the backdrop and Powers mostly using a lot of grounded side headlocks. Gonna hold on to control. But at one point, Flair's sending Powers through the ropes outside of the floor where he gets his eye scratched out by woman, leading to Flair chopping Jimmy down back inside the ring. But Powers gonna make another comeback, chopping back at the nature boy. Powers unloading with chops on Flair and another backdrop on Ric Flair. Powers with a drop kick. Then he shoots Flair into the court. Flair flip up into the corner, off to the apron. Flair taking a bump off the apron to the outside. Jimmy Powers on a roll here. But what's this? The U.S. champion Flair popping up on the floor. He's gone bonkers, guys. Randomly just pops up from all of the offense, gets into a face-to-face with a fat boy fan. Then he finds Woman and does a little spin, a little twirl with Woman, does some dancing on the outside. With woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? I wrote, LOL, what the hell is going on here? Ric Flair taking bumps all over the place, rolls to the outside, starts arguing with who he would refer to as a fat boy fan. Then he just walks over and begins dancing with woman. Nature boy going a little crazy here. Having some fun as only the nature can do. Then back inside the ring, finally, Ric Flair going to go to the eyes of Jim Powers. But the nature boy making the mistake of going to the top rope. And you know what happens next. Jimmy Powers going to slam the U.S. champion off the top rope into the middle of the ring, and Powers clearly having the match of his career here tonight as he gets a near fall off of a pair of clotheslines on the Nature Boy as well. But Jimmy Powers finally shooting Flair to the ropes, 
looking for a drop kick, but Flair holding to the ropes. Jimmy Powers missing, and Flair going to try to end things quickly, looking for that figure four leg lock, but Powers again counters with an inside cradle. One, two, Jimmy Powers nearly beats the U.S. champion again. But it is Powers finally missing a charge into the corner and Flair from behind, clipping the knee out from under Jimmy Powers. Flair then going to the leg briefly before locking it in, the figure four leg lock. And for good measure, Flair reaching for the hands of woman, assisted leverage here as Ric Flair going to get the submission win in five minutes and 38 seconds. And Powers had a ton of offense here, given pretty much all of the offense in this matchup, at least all of the typical flare bumps anyway, which is still probably the most Powers has ever been given. But I got to be honest with you guys here, the crowd, they weren't into this at all. They didn't really sell or pop for the bumps or the near falls by Powers to make this feel meaningful. I guess it goes back to there was really never any doubt who was going to win this match. But Flair, to his credit, he came to bump tonight. It wasn't a night off for the Nature Boy. He got his shit in, made Jimmy Powers look great in the process, but the Nature Boy picking up the win, retaining the U.S. title, as we hear now from Mean Gene Oakland in the aisleway with all of the horsemen, sans Chris Benoit. Benoit has a matchup coming next, so Mean Gene going to talk to everyone else as we see woman seducing Gene, per the usual. Arn Anderson talks about spending time trying to take down Hulk Hogan in the past. He says that Hulk was supposed to stand for something, but he stepped on everyone's hearts last night. And that will come back to bite Hulk in the end. So Arn Anderson, again, one of the heels saying, hey, I spent a long time coming for you because you were supposed to be something. I wanted to end that. And then you turned on everyone. You stomped on everyone's heart and you're going to pay for that. So these promos are a little weird, but WCW really getting over the fact everyone is affected in some way, shape or form from this Hulk Hogan, this Hollywood Hogan, if you will, heel turn here at Bash at the Beach. Steve McMichael completely ignores the Hogan situation because he has nothing to do with that. Instead, Mongo talks the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Everybody talking about the NWO trying to take over WCW when it's actually the horsemen who are the real faction that is on top here in WCW. Then it's the Nature Boys' turn. Ric Flair calling out the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, calling out the WCW champion Giant as well. Woo, says the nature boy, looking for that world title gold, even though he is the U.S. champion. And Flair has stated many, many times that he wasn't a fan of being put in position of that matchup with Conan. No disrespect to Conan. Flair just thought he was above that point in the card, thought he was above the U.S. title belt. But he makes it clear here, just because he's the United States champion doesn't mean he's comfortable with where he's at. He's still gunning for the big title, that WCW world title currently worn by the giant flair also makes no qualms about issuing a challenge to hall and nash as well and obviously hulk hogan has to go into that list as well up next we hear from eric bischoff and bobby heenan again and i should note at the top of the show i talked about tony Schiavone and larry zabisco wearing polo shirts well eric bischoff no fool either also rocking a polo shirt here but bobby heenan must not have got the memo a sweaty looking brain here in a suit coat over what looks to be a hawaiian shirt here in the humid Orlando weather. As Bischoff seems concerned with Hulk Hogan's turn, but Bobby Heenan, he isn't worried. He says the WCW outnumbers the Outsiders faction. Heenan also points out that they now know who the third man is. It was indeed Hulk Hogan. They know what they're dealing with now. Bobby doesn't seem concerned at all at this point. Boy, that's going to change. At this point in the show, we also see photos of Lex Luger getting stretchered out of that six-man tag team match at the Bash at the Beach. Bischoff states that we are still learning about his condition. 24 hours later, 
and we don't have an update on Lex Luger's condition. What's going on around here, WCW? So Heenan not concerned right now. Bischoff very upset that Hulk Hogan turned his back on the company. And then we get some clips here of, or excuse me, pictures here of Luger getting stretchered out. So we're beginning to tell the story of the Bash main event. And we'll conclude that at the end of Nitro with the stills of Hulk Hogan's turn. But for right now, it's back to the ring for singles action involving the crippler Chris Benoit taking on the Pitbull. Craig Pittman, Teddy Long in Pittman's corner here. And apparently it was supposed to be Chris Benoit taking on Lex Luger here, but Luger still out from last night's matchup at Bash at the Beach. So Craig Pittman, of all people, is the replacement for Lex Luger. And I guess they were trying to make this match feel bigger, but I don't know if I would have announced that. And much like Kevin Sullivan in that promo from earlier, Chris Benoit also rocking bruises and a busted lip here as Pittman shines early on with a snap overhead belly to belly and a fucking one motion German suplex. Just hooked Benoit and went all in the same time. No pump, no time to jump, pure power. That amateur wrestling coming out of Craig Pittman here and wow, impressive and explosive start here by the Pitbull. But all of that ends as quick as it starts. Chris Benoit with a cheap shot here. The referee looking for a clean break in the corner and Benoit unloads with a nasty back elbow across the jaw of the Pitbull. As the two men take the fight out to the floor, Benoit going after Teddy Long, it would seem, but Pittman putting a stop to that. The Pitbull making sure his manager is okay, then re-enters the ring, but Chris Benoit attacks and quickly locks in the Crippler crossface. Teddy Long wasting no time, hopping into the ring. I wrote, what the fuck? The hell you doing, Teddy? Teddy Long entering the ring after Benoit locks in the Crippler crossface. The referee looks confused as Long tells the ref to ring the bell. Long is apparently submitting for Craig the Pitbull Pittman here. And the match is called. In 2 minutes and 31 seconds, Benoit going to get a submission win. All thanks to Teddy Long calling it quits. So it seems in my eyes that Teddy Long has no faith in his own man, essentially throwing in the towel almost immediately after the crossface is applied. And I should note that Pittman was actually trying to fight back here. And heading into break, we even see Pittman questioning Long's decision for calling the match. And I'm not really sure what the end game here was for all of this. Was it just to put over Chris Benoit and his finisher? Was it to set up an eventual Pittman heel turn? Or was Teddy Long going to be exposed as trying to screw his man? Don't really know what the actual intention was for this finish. But a really fun opening as the match got going here. And knowing Benoit's skills and knowing Pittman's ability to work snug, I bet had this thing been given seven or eight minutes, it would have been a good old-fashioned ass-whipping from both ends. Really loved the way this match started, but as quickly as it started, came to an end. That's unfortunate, though, as we roll on... It's another member of the Horsemen stepping in the ring, Arn Anderson, going to take on Sting in one-on-one action. And right away, as the action gets going here, you have to assume maybe fans are tuning in to see the beginning of Sting and Arn Anderson. Bischoff makes sure to note on commentary that we apparently, quote-unquote, have guests, obviously referring to the Outsiders. Bischoff then states that there's not enough security at Disney, apparently, to deal with them. Yeah, I buy that, Eric. Disney has more money and power than the government, but not enough security to hold back Holland Nash, it would seem, in a limo, I should point out. Just drove right into Disney, right through the lots, all the way to MGM here. But again, it's pro wrestling, not going to question it. And you have to admit, Bischoff knew what he was doing here by announcing that we have guests. It is Hall, Nash. Could Hulk Hogan be in there as well? 
Definitely a great way to keep you tuned into Nitro, waiting to see what was going to happen. A running theme here in a very clever way to keep the viewers, keep the ratings in their favor. And as the match gets going, Anderson early on trying for a pile driver on the floor, but gets backdropped instead. And it's lots of stalling here by the enforcer early on as we take a commercial break only three minutes into the matchup. And heading into this commercial break, it's another Glacier video, guys. Apparently Glacier's still coming to WCW. No, I swear. Then back from break, Anderson catching Sting leapfrogging him in the air, turning it into a spine buster. Nice spot there as Eric Bischoff then announces a black limo has pulled up. Not sure why the color matters, Eric. But the action continues on in the ring. Double A working over Sting, stomping and choking away on the Stinger before locking in an abdominal stretch. But Sting breaking free after Arn is caught using the ropes for leverage. And Stinger going to try a comeback here, but he misses a big splash on Anderson landing across Arn's knees. And Anderson going to remain in control. A grounded Sting on his back, locking Arn Anderson in a body scissors. But Arn brilliantly turns it over into a Boston Crab. As we see a shot of a black limo, Eric was right, pulling up next to the Nitro set. No Disney security anywhere to be found. And how it got through the entire park, unbeknownst to me. But apparently the limo shit will start here this week in WCW. Is back in the ring. Arn Anderson off the middle rope, but right into a clothesline from the Stinger. As the two men slowly back up to their feet, begin to trade blows. And we see Hall and Nash. It's Scott Hall, Kevin Nash exiting the limo and making their way toward the ring. As the match continues on, Sting off the top rope, delivering a clothesline on Anderson, just as Hall and Nash reach ringside. And once both Anderson and Sting realize what's going on, they both stop fighting each other and turn their attention to Hall and Nash. Sting and Arn, side by side, both inviting the outsiders to get into the ring. And then out of nowhere, Macho Man Randy Savage, where's he been tonight, joins Arn and Stinger at ringside calling out the Outsiders. As WCW security, which appear to be power plant guys, finally arrive to try and keep Hall and Nash away from getting in the ring. So you let the limo pull in, you let the guys get out of the limo and come all the way to ringside, but they can't get in the ring. So at least we know where the barrier is here. Meanwhile, with the distraction of Hall and Nash at ringside, the security in between, Arn Anderson, Attacks the Stinger, looking for the DDT out of nowhere, but Sting holding onto the top rope, blocking the move. Arn taking a back bump to the mat, and Sting going to lock in the Scorpion Deathlock. Stinger scoring the submission win here in about 12 minutes and 30 seconds. But let's not forget about that situation at ringside with the Outsiders as the Macho Man tries to get through security at Hall and Nash, but those Outsiders back away from the ring. Sting and Randy Savage standing at ringside looking ready for a fight. But we're not going to get one here tonight. And I'll briefly touch on the match here as we continue to roll on with the storyline. The Arn versus Sting match clearly designed for the TV audience to give us something to watch while Eric Bischoff built up and sold the arrival of Hall and Nash to MGM. But the match itself wasn't very good. Very slow, very drawn out, lots of stalling by Arn Anderson early on. And it didn't really help an already halfway disinterested crowd who were pretty much dead by this point. Now, some fans were into the match because it was Sting in the ring. But the quote-unquote action here left a lot to be desired. A lot of just killing time here during the main event of Nitro. As Hall and Nash have been ushered away from the ring, it's Mean Gene Oakland standing in the ring He's standing by waiting for a promo that I invite everyone to listen to here. 
maybe one of the best of his career. Mean Gene Oakland standing by with Sting. But let's go back to last night. What's your sense of what happened at the Bash at the Beach? I am not at all surprised. What happened last night, I'm not surprised about coming from the two outsiders. But I will say I am very, very surprised at you, Hulk Hogan. But I should have known. I should have known when you were traveling to every town in that big, fat limo. I should have known because you didn't want to travel with the Macho Man and Total Package and the Stinger. Uh Uh-uh, you were too busy making big movies and coming in for a little cameo appearance. You were too busy walking on the dark side. I should have known when you referred to the Macho Man and the Total Package and me as three little dogs waiting for a chance to wrestle the great Hulk Hogan. I should have known when I looked into your eyes. But you know something? I made a mistake. But you made a bigger mistake. Because last night, you wiped out and trashed every single little kid. Every single person that was a part of your life that patterned their life after you. You told them to believe in the man upstairs. You told them to say their prayers and to take their vitamins. You told them to believe in themselves. And you know something? It's a good thing you told them to believe in themselves because they sure as heck can't believe in you. And last but not least, to put the cherry on the top, all those little kids, you told them to stick it. No. You stick it, Hulk. You stick it. So the Stinger says he wasn't surprised by the Outsiders last night, but he was surprised by Hulk Hogan. Stinger should have known all along. Hogan refusing to ride with the Macho Man Sting Lex Luger, but rather take his own limo to the events. And rather than wrestling every week, Hogan coming in to do cameos while making his movies in Hollywood. Sting admits he made a big mistake in trusting Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan, he made a bigger mistake wiping out everyone and everything he told him to believe in. Stinger gets in a good line there. He says, it's a good thing that Hogan told his fans to believe in themselves because they sure can't believe in Hulk Hogan. You told the kids to stick it? No, you stick it, Hulk. And I'll go on record. Probably the best Sting promo of his career that I can recall anyway, certainly up to this point. Really impressed here by Sting and, and usually he goes out here and he doesn't really have a lot to say. He doesn't really have a lot to talk about. Here this week, he knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he did an excellent job getting it over. And in the middle of this promo here with Mean Gene and the Stinger, Macho Man, remember, he was also ringside. He steps in, and remember, it was he that Hogan turned on last night at Bash of the Beach, dropping the leg across his former partner, the Macho Man Randy Savage, not once, not twice, but three times. And now we're going to hear from Randy Savage as he, too, has a message for Hulk Hogan. Macho Man Randy Savage, you were very close with Hulk Hogan as I was. You were part of the Mega Powers. And if anybody got it stuck up or stuck that well, stuck to him, you got, really got it stuck to you. I get a message for Hollywood Hogan. But what I want to tell you and what I want to do to you, I can't say you're on television, especially here at Disney. 
take the worst thing that you can think about and you multiply it by the number nine million. And then you multiply it by infinity and beyond. It would be just like one grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, brother. Because it's really, really scary what I'm thinking and gonna do to you. Yeah! So what Macho wants to do to Hogan, he can't say here on TV. Especially here at Disney. Even getting in a to infinity and beyond line here, does the Macho Man. And then I realized that Toy Story came out in 1995. Wow, I feel old. So we heard from the Stinger. We've heard from the Macho Man. We know Luger is MIA right now, and Hulk Hogan won't be here until next week. Or so said Bischoff earlier on. But up next, a very unusual promo. And I say unusual because it's Mean Gene Okerlund standing by at ringside with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the Outsiders. Mean Gene going to talk to the enemy. And had this been a good promo, guys, I would have grabbed a sound clip of this as well, but really just a bunch of gibberish here from the guys. Doesn't really go anywhere. Just doing what they do best out here in promo form, just having some fun for themselves, especially Kevin Nash. As Gene just oddly, calmly, stands by the former Diesel and Razor Ramon. They're hanging out by their limo. So Kevin Nash, not too long ago, Great American Bash, Jackknife Power Bombs. Eric Bischoff off the stage through a platform. But here this week, Mean Gene Okerlund, another announcer, calmly walks over and has this conversation with the outsiders, doesn't show an ounce of worry. So where's the jackknife now, Kev? Seriously, Gene just talking to them like it's no big deal. But we'll have to see how this promo goes here. And as Mean Gene begins to interview the two men, Nash just calmly responding, referring to him as Gene, like their buddies here. Nash says that Hulk Hogan built pro wrestling, and nobody appreciated that. But Holland Nash did. Hulk is off making a movie right now, but he will be back here next week for Monday Nitro. So we get the confirmation there from one of Hogan's buddies that Hulk Hogan will return here next week to explain himself. Instant ratings again, no doubt. As Scott Hall takes over the promo, he says that this portion of Nitro has been brought to you by the Outsiders and Hulk Hogan. So another line makes its debut here on Nitro tonight. This portion of the show being brought to you by, well, what will be the New World Order. Scott Hall said that the Outsiders could kick the WCW's butt, and they did it. Hall even goes so far as to offer Mean Gene a job with the NWO here, but Okerlund passively says he'll continue to work for Turner. Just rambling by both Outsiders here, nothing really going on in this promo at all. But there's no hostility, no quote-unquote outsider feel here. The promo was as basic as you got in delivery and in behavior. Kevin Nash smiling, putting his arm around Gene Okerlund to end the segment. And Gene is as calm as he can be with the entire situation. After knowing what they're supposed to represent, what they've done to the fans, what they've done to WCW, this entire promo just felt completely wrong in delivery. And I'm not really sure what was up here because these guys all know what was involved. And we know as time goes on, this is going to change, but just a really weird promo here, the behavior of everyone involved. And Meltzer reported that the tickets for Nitro were all freebies, which is how it works for the other WCW shows here at MGM and Disney as well. But a lot of those fans at the indoor tapings aren't necessarily wrestling fans. They're just coming to see free shows. And most of the time, they don't even know who they're watching in the ring. And they're told when to applaud and boo. But based on some of the chants and reactions here from the fans here on Nitro, these fans at least seem to know the product to a degree. But as the show went on, 
the crowd slowly became disenchanted with it. Or so it seemed. I mean, you start off with Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko. A little later, it's Eddie Guerrero and Psychosis. Then the second hour, it's essentially smoke and mirrors and perhaps the worst Sting versus Arn Anderson match that I've ever seen. And it wasn't bad, just boring. So the downshift in the action, coupled with the midsummer Florida heat outside, can kind of put a damper on the crowd energy. Now, as for Hulk Hogan not showing up here tonight, I don't know if it was true he was really in Hollywood, he had to go film some segments for a movie, I'm not really sure what, or if they were just holding this off for another week, but if that's the case, I support not furthering the storyline the night after Bash at the Beach. And I get the argument of striking with the iron while it's hot, and why you should follow up coming off the buzz after the pay-per-view. But if you got people hooked in this week, why not milk it for another week? But you had to know that everybody was tuning into Nitro tonight to see Hulk Hogan after he made the turn. It was even in the news, guys. Longtime wrestling hero Hulk Hogan gone bad. And after the fans didn't get Hulk Hogan here this week, maybe they would have been less interested to tune back in next week. So what does WCW do? They make sure to repeatedly promise Hulk Hogan will be here next week. We heard it from Eric Bischoff. We even heard it from Kevin Nash here. So WCW likely hoping to draw the same audience back next week and then some as the word will continue to spread. And then from there, we end the show with stills from the end of the main event at Bash at the Beach. Of course, we talked about Lex Luger being stretchered out of the match. Now we see pictures of Hulk Hogan making his arrival to the ring and turning on Team WCW, turning on his good buddy, the Macho Man, longtime friend, former Mega Power dropping the big leg across the throat and the chest of Savage three times. And then we see pictures of the debris, the garbage that was thrown into the ring. Talk about heat. Now that's heat, brother. As we end this edition of WCW Monday Nitro with a disgusted Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff. Wow. And I feel like I continue to say it every week. They're still trying to figure out the proper format of a two-hour Nitro but they're getting better at it. That first hour was hot, guys. And if they could figure out how to spread that out throughout the course of the two hours, would have made for a phenomenal night of WCW TV. However, the first hour was hot. The second hour was not. That second hour really dragged, and I was really disappointed with Sting and Arnold. I know they were just going out there to fill in some time, but even still, not a very good performance. And nothing wrong with the match. They just really did next to nothing. Nevertheless, let's take a look at it. The segment of the night. Was it Rey Mysterio Jr. capturing the Cruiserweight title from Dean Malenko? Could it be Psychosis taking on Eddie Guerrero? Could be. Arn Anderson versus Sting? Sounded great on paper. I already guys gave you my thoughts on that one. As I said, lots of filler here this week. Lots of promos selling the shock and disbelief both from babyfaces and heels on the turn of Hulk Hogan. Gotta get that over. As right now, the Outsiders, the NWO, the turn of Hogan, Bigger than anything and everything else going on in WCW. Bigger than the feuds in WCW because everybody sets things aside when the NWO arrived. At least for right now. But I got to go back all the way to the top of the show. Absolutely impressed. And I know they have bigger and better matches. Five-star matches between the two. But this was great for WCW Nitro. I'm talking Rey Mysterio capturing that Cruiserweight title from Dean Malenko. Didn't particularly care for the finish. But again, nitpicking guys because the action was phenomenal. Fun time. I know these guys can do even more, but I'm happy with what we got here. My segment of the night was easily Mysterio versus Malenko. And?
the ratings are in. And for July 8th, 1996, WCW Monday Nitro does it again with a whopping 3.5 rating and a 6.3 share. That's a 3.3 rating in the first hour, 3.7 rating in the second hour. Unbelievable. So Nitro's combined two hours for a 3.5 rating as compared to WWF's Monday Night Raw doing a 2.5 rating and a 4.1 share. Nitro blowing Raw out of the water by an entire point in the ratings. And even the Nitro replay does a 1.6 and a 3.8 share, once again breaking the all-time record for not just WCW Monday Nitro, but also the replay as well. And WCW Nitro just blew Raw out of the water here this week. Vince McMahon in some big trouble. And I even go and I look at the replay rating of 1.6, Raw doing a 2.5. Raw does less than a point higher than the replay of Monday Nitro. And that shows you where we're at right now in the Monday Night War. And as for me, now I get to pick my winner, the real winner here this week. And I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. But while WCW still hasn't completely figured out the best format for the two-hour program, and arguably maybe they never do, but with as bad as a lot of the Raw stuff is right now, they really only need a few good segments on WCW to beat out the WWF. And it's the same again here this week. Mysterio versus Malenko alone gives WCW the nod for me here this week. Now, the Bradshaw-Vega match on Raw was old-school storytelling at its best. Nothing wrong with it but there wasn't other segments to pick the Raw program back up, slow and plodding most of the way through on the WWF side. Meanwhile, WCW has a better balance and it just feels more vibrant cosmetically as well. And I can honestly see beyond just the NWO stuff going on right now, why things were shifting in the ratings. Lots of other things WCW excelling at right now that Vince McMahon just couldn't capitalize on. And that's going to wrap it up here this week. In the ratings, Nitro trumps Raw. And here for me also, the real winner has to be WCW Nitro by a mile. Vince McMahon, you got to get your act together over there in the WWF. But that'll wrap it up here for me this week, guys. want to thank you guys again for listening to another edition of the show. I'll be back again next week. We're going to talk about July 15th as the Monday Night War rolls on. Hulk Hogan going to make his return to WCW Monday Nitro for the first time since his heel turn. Going to explain himself to the public masses here on cable TV. Can't wait to see that rating. But lots going on as we now know that Sid, the new partner of Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson, heading in to In Your House International Incident. We'll have more on that as well next week. And once again, I am your host, Ray Russell. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-E-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And I'll be back again here next week from the WWF versus WCW. It's Raw versus Nitro here on Monday Warfare. The Battles Within.